Hello and welcome to the Decorum Talking Newspaper for the week ending Saturday 22nd of January 2022. This is Rod and your other readers are Liz, Tom, Linda and Pamela. Linda and Pamela are new volunteers and they will be reading this evening for you. Most of our news items are taken from the Hemel Hempstead, Berkhampstead and Tring Gazette and Express newspaper. All telephone numbers are on the local code of 01442 unless stated otherwise. This week's headlines. Vaccine mandates were the final red line for teacher and Hertfordshire budget plans announced. As we start a new year, there is a focus this week on good intentions like eating better and staying fit and healthy. These and other stories follow. We're going to start this week with a few articles from the past. Here is the news. Hello, this is Linda. January the 19th, 1990, England's rebel cricketers flew into South Africa as police used tear gas to disperse a crowd of 150 protesters at Johannesburg Airport. On this day last year, music industry bosses defended their right to a share of streaming revenue, saying any disruption to the current system could diminish UK competitiveness. January the 20th, 1993. William Jefferson Clinton was sworn in as 42nd President of the United States. Hello, this is Tom. On this day last year, Katy Perry joined the list of stars performing during celebrations, marking President Joe Biden's inauguration. On January the 21st, 1907, taxi cabs were officially recognised in Britain. January the 22nd, 1927, a football league game between Arsenal and Sheffield United was the first to be broadcast. Hello, this is Liz. On January the 23rd in 1931, Anna Pavlova, the Russian prima ballerina, famous as the Dying Swan, died aged 49 at her home in Hampstead Heath. And on this day last year, veteran US talk show host Larry King died at the age of 87. Vaccine mandates were the final red line for teacher. A teacher who taught at a school in Hemel Hempstead says he quit the job he loved over his stance on school lockdowns, masking and student vaccine mandates. Damiano Pierioni, who taught history at Longdean School in Hemel Hempstead for 32 years, says he became increasingly disillusioned by what had happened to his profession over the course of the last two years during the COVID-19 pandemic and decided to move on. His views were shared on social media and the school received three complaints with Mr Perioni attending a tribunal where he was charged with gross misconduct. He says he received a final warning last October but had already made the decision to quit. The school's head teacher says Long Dean provided a home delivery service of work and materials to students 
and wrote to parents, staff and students every day to keep them updated and supported. He added, the vaccination rollout was the final red line. Mr Pirioni said that by March last year, everything was perfectly normal. He said, but then we were received a directive from the head of public health at Harts County Council recommending masks in class. This and Sajid Javid going against the JCVI's advice of not vaccinating kids and rolling out the programme to include them made me decide I would quit before Christmas. It was the final red line for me that was crossed. Graham Cunningham, head teacher at Longdean School, said, The mental health and well-being of our students and staff at Longdean is paramount. Like many people across the country, lockdown was very challenging for all members of our school community. However, I am incredibly proud of the hard work that our staff carried out during this time to provide pastoral support and academic work to all our students. This included delivering 25 hours of Teams lessons each week, as well as running other engaging challenges for our pupils. We provided a home delivery service of work and materials to students, including loaning out 400 laptops and the school wrote to parents, staff and students every day to keep them updated and supported. Additionally, as part of our role in the wider community, we provided PPE to local care homes and hospitals and dropped food parcels to local centres. Since returning to school after lockdown, Long Dean staff have continued to work incredibly hard to support the social and emotional needs of all pupils. Damiano Pierioni says his decision to quit was further cemented by the NHS teams coming into the school and calling some of the students for their vaccinations. He did not go into schools on that occasion saying he could not face it. Mr Perioni added, it's very sad because I truly love the job. I had done it for so long, love the pupils and will really miss it. Ambulance chiefs in the east of England are predicting a £13.24 million deficit by the end of 2021-2022. The use of private ambulances, overtime incentives and the recruitment of additional call handlers are among the additional costs said to be facing the East of England Ambulance Service Trust. Increases in fuel costs are said to be beginning to impact too. According to the latest data, presented to the East of England Ambulance Service Trust Board on Wednesday, January the 12th, by the end of November, the 2021-2022 budget was running at a £7.1 million deficit. Finance chiefs were forecasting a deficit of £13.2 million by the end of the financial year at the end of March. At the meeting, the Trust's Director of Finance and Commissioning, Kevin Smith, said budget figures for December were still being finalised, but he indicated that potentially the overall deficit may not reach the predicted £13.2 million figure by the end of the year. Explaining the current deficit position, 
he told the board, the principal drivers behind that deficit are the increased costs across emergency operations that we have for trying to maintain and increase our patient-facing staff. He particularly highlighted the number of private ambulances, overtime incentives, and the increased number of call handling staff. He also highlighted the fleet level, which is being run over and above the base level. And he said they were beginning to see the impact of fuel increases. Mr Smith said much of the additional costs incurred were related to COVID. He acknowledged the £34.5 million in funding received by the Trust this year for the additional costs related to COVID. He said that the Trust expected to be fully utilised and that it remained unclear whether the funding would continue. Mr Smith reported that the Trust expected to spend up to its £10 million capital limit by the end of the financial year. And he highlighted more than £2 million of clinical equipment, said to be mainly defibrillators, that were expected to be delivered to the Trust by the end of March. Patients harmed by ambulance delays. The impact of ambulance delays on patient health has been highlighted to a meeting of the East of England Ambulance Service Trust. Three out of four ambulances have been waiting longer than the target 15 minutes to hand over patients for hospital care across the region. And one in seven have been waiting in excess of an hour. In a written report, Chief Executive Tom Abel said handover delays continued to impact on the number of patients who had come to harm. Board members were told that steps taken by the East of England Ambulance Services Trust to improve resilience have already included the introducing of cohorting teams to support hospitals. And it was reported that more than 100 more call handlers have been recruited and advanced paramedics are in control rooms to prioritise patients and to signpost alternative pathways. But data reported to the Trust Board later in the meeting recorded 15 serious incidents in November where delayed attendances led to patient harm. No further detail relating to the specific impact of the ambulance delays is given. However, they were among 21 serious incidents investigated by the Trust that were recorded in November. Those incidents also included one where a patient with low oxygen saturation was not taken to hospital, but later required admission into intensive care. And a further patient with COVID-19 was not taken to hospital, but later required ICE treatment. It was also reported that a patient injured a leg while getting into the back of an ambulance and a patient who was not taken to hospital later died. In a further incident, the delivery of a shock during the resuscitation of a patient in cardiac arrest was delayed. Plans have been submitted to build a new residential care home in Tring. The application proposes the development of an 80-bedroom care home and facilities including access arrangements, car parking for up to 36 vehicles, amenity space, landscaping and associated works on land at Miswell Lane, Tring. Applicant 
Montpellier Estates Limited, says it will provide communal facilities that will be available to residents of the home and the wider community. The planning statement reads, the proposals were considered to make considerably greater contribution to the local authorities' local housing need than the current allocation. Montpellier Estates was founded in 1996 to provide specialist solutions to clients in the healthcare sector. The company specialises in designing and delivering nursing and residential homes, health centres, surgeries, hospitals and independent hospitals. In the planning statement submitted to Decorum Borough Council, it says the company considers that good quality therapeutic design supports the delivery of high quality health care and leads to more positive outcomes for patients, families and carers. The applicant advises that Tring is underprovided for with regards to nursing, nursing beds. This application seeks to address that shortfall. Typically, care homes have a catchment area of three or five miles, dependent upon travel times. The proposed buildings will be positioned towards the rear of the site, set back from Miswell Lane, and providing space for garden areas to the north and south, thereby separating the proposed building from existing properties. It adds, in terms of employment and job creation, it is envisaged that the care home will employ 70 full-time equivalent staff in a range of jobs. This will include qualified nursing and managerial staff, skilled maintenance and housekeeping jobs. Available jobs will follow shift patterns and will typically be part-time, making them attractive to those with other care responsibilities. The proposed development will be provide new high-quality housing that serves to address specific needs. To view the plans, visit planning.decorum.gov.uk forward slash public access and reference 21 forward slash 04769 forward slash MFA. Budget plans include pay increase for our lowest paid care workers. Leading Conservative councillors have formally backed County Council budget proposals, marking the start of a five-week process of scrutiny and consultation. The 446-page budget document, known as the Integrated Plan, or IP, outlines the County Council's financial position and its spending plans for next year. It also outlines plans for £12 million of efficiency savings, most of which were implemented last year. And it proposes increasing the County Council element of Council tax bills by 3.99%, including 2% that would be ring-fenced for adult social care. At a meeting of the Cabinet on Monday, January the 17th, Leader of the County Council, Councillor Richard Roberts, said the document was impressive. 
and he said it was a clear statement on how the County Council intended to use its resources for the good and benefit of Hertfordshire residents. The plans were backed by the meeting of the Cabinet and will now be subject to Council and public scrutiny before being presented to a meeting of the full Council on February the 22nd. A public consultation on the budget proposals is already underway and will run until February the 1st. Presenting the budget document, Executive Member for Resources and Performance Councillor Bob Deering pointed to the Council's strong track record of sound financial management. And he said that had put the Council in a good position to invest in the services that were important to residents. This integrated plan builds on the solid financial management of recent years, he said. It will make a real difference and improve the quality of life for many of our residents. In particular, those who are the most vulnerable in our community. Among the proposals included in the integrated plan, Councillor Deering highlighted the £18 million earmarked to increase the wages of lowest paid care workers, and the £22 million to support increasing numbers of older people and those with disabilities accommodation. Councillor Deering also catalogued the £15 million earmarked for a new accommodation strategy for adults with disabilities and £10 million to support the increase in children looked after. He also pointed to £15 million for sustainability and carbon reduction measures, as well as £35 million for waste infrastructure. Public consultation on the plans asks residents to comment on the plans outlined in the integrated plan. At the Cabinet, Councillor Deering said, We will, of course, listen to the views of the public and of members. But as things stand, I believe this is an impressive budget that will serve the residents of Hertfordshire extremely well. Councillor Roberts told Cabinet members that Hertfordshire was a high-performing council that provided a range of critical discretionary services that residents have been very clear they want to be provided. And he said that finding ways to maintain these services, as finances continue to be squeezed, has occupied much time. He highlighted the financial impact of the pandemic and the proposed increase to council tax. He stressed that for Band D residents, the proposed 3.99% increase in the county council element of the council tax, which includes 2% ring-fenced for adult social care, would be equivalent to a little over £1 a week. And he stressed that we try not to take a penny more than is absolutely necessary. County Council plans to increase wages for care workers acknowledge the vital role of care workers in looking for after older and vulnerable residents across the county, in care homes or in their own homes. And they recognise the difficulties in recruiting and retaining staff as well as the heightened demand for home care. If approved next month, February, it will mean minimum care worker wages across the county 
will increase to £10.30 an hour, in excess of both the real living wage, £9.90, and the national living wage, £9.50. Meanwhile, home care rates would increase from £13.64 an hour to £13.83. The increases will represent an 18.5 million investment in adult social care by the County Council, and it will be funding from a 2% increase in council tax. It comes just months after a 13 million injection of funds from the government led to the launch of retention bonuses for care staff of up to £600. Leader of the County Council, Councillor Richard Roberts, says the plans to invest in care workers are a reflection of their vital role and recruitment difficulties. He acknowledges that for the past two years, care workers have been at the forefront of the COVID-19 pandemic, looking after the most vulnerable, dealing with severe illness and loss. And he says that without their commitment, the system would not have been able to cope. With an increasingly ageing population, the demand for care workers in Hertfordshire is growing, with a 15% increase in home care compared to last year. But in recent months, he says, there's been signs that the number of care workers in the county is starting to decline. And he says the investment in care worker salaries whether employed by the council or independent providers, will improve recruitment and retention. The increase in care worker salaries is being funded by a 2% increase in council tax, ring-fenced for adult social care. That's possible because last year, the county council opted not to charge an additional 3% that was permitted for adult social care but instead they restricted the 2021-22 increase to 2% in order to collect the remaining 1% in 2022-3. Now councils have been granted the additional option to charge a further 1% this year. Former headmaster left lasting legacy. Tributes have been paid to a former headmaster of Ashlyn School in Berkhampstead, who died aged 82. Roger Warren died in November from progressive supranuclear palsy, PSP, a neurological condition which, over a period of time, causes loss of movement, speech and swallowing. Vision is also affected. His wife Norma and sons Andrew and Alex would like any donations in Roger's memory to be sent to the PSP Association, a charity that provides support to people living with PSP and corticobasal degeneration, while funding research into treatments and ultimately a cure. Mr Warren was appointed headmaster in January 1981 and led the school for 17 years until his retirement in July 1998. He was also the deputy head of Halsey School, Hemel Hempstead, in the 1970s. In his first ever report to the school governors, he wrote, My first weeks at Ashlands have been a most pleasurable experience. 
Perhaps the main reason for this has been the manifest hard work and enthusiasm of all the staff, teaching and non-teaching, and the very high degree of goodwill which has been extended to me by all the staff. First impressions fully confirmed the views I previously held about the school as the parent of a pupil. Ashlands provides a caring school community with an extremely wide range of experiences which should enable the vast majority of pupils to achieve success and recognition in some aspect of school life and enable them to reach their full potential. The 1980s was a period of budget cuts and changes in education and Ashland's school was particularly affected by cuts because it was an upper school only able to take 13 to 18 year old pupils who required specialist teaching. The school buildings also had historic connections that needed to be respected and extensive grounds which needed maintenance. Despite these early budget cuts, Mr Warren managed in his first years to prioritise what should be done. His aims and objectives report was discussed and agreed with all the staff. The heating in some very cold areas was improved and the boys' toilets and changing facilities were refurbished. School security was improved and Hertfordshire County Council was also persuaded to protect the chapel's beautiful stained glass windows with mesh and to restore the electric lighting to the original Georgian posts lining the driveway. By the 1990s, the government's national curriculum and Ofsted inspections were well established, and in 1993, parents voted for Mr Warren's proposal that Ashlands should apply for grant-maintained status. A fun run helped to finance digital technology as an information resource in the library, and a local business funded the first conversion of a classroom into a computer lab. Mr Warren made and kept close contact with Rotary and many local businesses, which helped considerably with work experience schemes. Ashlands took part and won Hertfordshire County Council's Young Project Engineer Scheme in 1994 and 1995. Memorable productions during Mr Warren's 17 years are too many to list, but GCSE and later A-level drama were added to the curriculum. In 1994, a large classroom was made into a drama studio and actor and former pupil Derek Folds and his Ashlyn's teacher, Mrs Enid Watling, officially opened it. Mr Warren's office door was usually open. There was a relaxed, friendly atmosphere within Ashlands and the headmaster could be seen walking around the school corridors, keeping a calm and interested eye on classes. Occasionally, he would take a lesson himself. His gift for teaching was self-evident for those of us whose children happened to see him in action and told us about it. Biology was his specialist subject, but it seems he could take a class on anything. Mr Warren's judicious use of school funds also helped alleviate the detrimental effects of poverty for some pupils. Discreet discounts would be given to those who would benefit from a school trip, but those whose families could not afford the extras costs sometimes 
a member of staff will be asked to accompany a pupil to the shops in order to purchase new trousers or shoes. Making it easier for all to be included is probably why he established a very simple uniform policy. Black shoes, not trainers, black trousers or skirt, black jumper and white shirt. A major contract completed shortly before Mr Warren's retirement was to oversee extensive renewal of electrical systems in the school, notably including eco-friendly automated lighting in the corridors and classrooms and elegant chandeliers in the chapel. Roger Warren retired in 1998, leaving Ashlyn's a strong legacy. He will be remembered with respect and affection by parents and pupils and all those who knew and worked with him in the school. Suspected historical explosive was dropped off at fire station. A suspected historical explosive was removed by the Explosive Ordnance Disposal, the EOD, in Berkhamsted on Sunday, January the 16th. Hertfordshire Police responded to an incident at the fire station in Castle Street on Sunday afternoon. A 50-metre cordon was put in place around the building and roads closed after the suspected historical explosive device was brought to the station. Berkhamsted Boys' School opened up a common room for any residents who were unable to return to their homes due to the cordon in place in Castle Street. Just after 5pm, the force posted an update on the incident. The incident at the fire station in Castle Street in Berkhamsted has now been resolved. The cordon has been lifted and residents can return to their homes. The suspected historical explosive was a spent shell and has been removed by the EOD. We would like to thank everyone for their patience and understanding during this time. Students' tips go viral on TikTok. A criminology student from Berkhamsted has gone viral after sharing her money-saving tips on social media. Tiger Lily Taylor, 20, who is studying at the University of Northampton, received more than 700,000 views on TikTok after she posted a video of her staying in a travel lodge on the days that she needs to be at university rather than paying for university accommodation. She says that the unusual living arrangements help her save nearly £400 a month. Tiger Lily said, I'm not sure why I've gone viral, but it may be because my style of living arrangements differs from the norm. Tiger Lily attends university on consecutive days during the week. Therefore, instead of paying to live in university accommodation, she stays over on the night in the hotel between those days. She also commutes again on a separate day. She added, on average, the university accommodation is £620 per month. My hotel room usually costs around £35 for the night and I only need to stay once a week, so every month I spend £140 on average for a double room at the travel lodge. Petrol costs around £20 to £30 a week as well. Overall, I save around £380 a month. 
After Tiger Lily's last year of learning being mostly online due to COVID-19 restrictions, she was rarely at university. This year, her teaching is mostly face-to-face, so she decided to start staying over once a week at the hotel. Tiger Lily said, It is nice to know I have inspired some students, or soon-to-be students. I just wanted people to know there is another option instead of just moving away. My advice to any university students wanting to save some money would be to keep an eye on what you're spending and what on. If you don't want to move to university, definitely consider commuting. It is a great option and you are still able to make friends. Hemel MP is urged to sack Prime Minister. Hemel Hempstead Liberal Democrats are asking for the Hemel Hempstead MP to remove Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. And the MP says he is furious over the allegations of parties at Downing Street during lockdown. If Sir Mike Penning and 53 other Conservative MPs express no confidence in Boris Johnson, he will have to resign or fight to keep his job in a no-confidence vote. The Lib Dems said, The lockdown parties at number 10 have got so bad the Queen had to receive an apology from Boris. Staff are being lined up to be sacked and anger from Hemel people who lost friends and relatives to Covid is off the scale. Sir Mike Penning said, Firstly, I want to make it clear that I am absolutely furious about this also. My mother had a major operation during lockdown and I was not able to be with her as we were in lockdown at home. To learn that there were apparently parties going on in Downing Street is unbelievable. I recognise that the Prime Minister and his team in Downing Street were under enormous pressure and the PM has had the most difficult time imaginable to be in office. But that is no excuse for not obeying rules put in place by the government themselves. There cannot be one rule for them and another for the rest of us. It shows a dreadful lack of judgement not just by the PM, but also those he has chosen to be around him. Like you, I have also been frustrated at many of the decisions made as we battle this virus, but there have been high points too. The PM has put in place the best vaccine response in Europe, and as a result we have been able to battle the Omicron variant with relatively low number of hospitalizations. The economy is also in a good place, considering the battering it has taken over the past year, and I welcome the new focus on tackling climate change, the single most important issue for our planet. A change in leadership is an enormous upheaval, and I am disappointed that COVID has prevented the PM from being able to focus on the things he really wanted to do and that we set out in our manifesto. I would still like to do these things. He added that he has never worked in number 10, was not invited to and did not attend any parties during lockdown. County Council ordered to pay out £900 for causing distress to a schoolboy's family. Hertfordshire County Council has been ordered to pay out £900 after failing to issue an updated Education, Health and Care Plan, EHCP, quickly enough. EHCPs are formal legal documents that identify the education, health and social needs of a specific child or young person up to the age of 25. 
They specify the support that is required for that child or young person and even the school a child should attend. And there are statutory guidelines detailing the time the processes should take. A report by the local government and social care ombudsman highlights a 15-month delay in the issuing of an updated EHCP for a heart schoolboy who has autism, difficulties in controlling his emotions and experiencing severe anxiety. And it was determined that the county council should pay the boy's mother, referred to in the report as Mrs X, £900 in recognition of distress and uncertainty this has caused. Mrs X had complained that the County Council's failure to issue the amended EHCP after an annual review in July of 2019 meant that the boys' school was working to an outdated plan that no longer met his educational needs. By the start of 2020, she said the school's school uh, placement was at a breaking point and that he had stopped attending because of his anxiety. And when she did receive the draft of the revised, reviewed EHCP in October 2020, she said it was out of date and no longer reflected her son's needs. According to the Ombudsman's report, in December 2020, an emergency review meeting was held with a draft EHCP resulting from that meeting issued within five days. The final amended EHCP was issued in March 2021, but had to be reissued in April 2021 because it contained errors. That amended EHCP determined that the boy, who had been in a mainstream school, should be supported in a social, emotional, mental health setting. The report suggests the delays have caused Mrs X avoidable distress and it suggests that as a result of the delay, the boy was not supported as he should have been and that missing out on essential support means that an already vulnerable young person has been further disadvantaged. Part of the investigation, the County Council told the Ombudsman that it already reviewed statutory special educational needs and disabilities SEND processes. And it said it had created a new annual review team, hired more staff to process EHCPs and opened duty lines to make it easier for parents to contact them. It also said it had spoken to the boys' school to agree ways the council and school can work together to support SEND pupils. In his report, the Ombudsman recognised improvements made by the Council and said that because of this, they did not recommend any further actions. A spokesman for Hertfordshire County Council said, We take the Ombudsman's findings very seriously and where they find we have been at fault, we work hard to understand why it happened, how we can put it right and how we can prevent it happening again. Following this investigation, Hertfordshire County Council recognises and apologises for the difficulties faced by this family. The departments involved take all feedback seriously and have reviewed working practices in response. The demand for SEND support continues to increase, raising challenges both nationally and here in Hertfordshire. 
In common with many local authorities, we are experiencing a high demand for specialist provision, with a 37% increase in pupils with education and healthcare plans over the last three years, as well as the additional challenges due to COVID-19. We are making new investments into the SEND system and are fully committed to making sure that all children with SEND and EHCPs in Hertfordshire receive the support they need and deserve. And now news in numbers. Recycling. £150,000 is what decorum taxpayers had to shell out to deal with waste wrongly placed in recycling bins last year, according to figures from DEFRA. £60 million. The data suggests that recyclable waste getting mixed up with non-recyclable items was an issue estimated to have cost English councils around £60 million last year. News in numbers continued. Recycling. 1,658. Data shows that 1,658 tonnes of waste collected by Decorum Borough Council were rejected at the point of sorting in the year to March. This was more than the 1,456 tonnes rejected the previous year. £93. Recycling charity RAP, which works with governments and companies on sustainability, estimates that waste disposal of as recycling, which is then found not to be recyclable, costs councils around £93 per tonne to dispose of. This would mean that rejected waste costs taxpayers in decorum an estimated £154,194 in 20, 20, year 2020 to 2021 alone. News in numbers. Recycling continued with Pamela reading. 63.9 thousand. Overall, Decorum Borough Council collected 63,975 tonnes of waste, up from 57,908 the year before. The council provides residents with one 240-litre blue-lidded bin, which is collected fortnightly. If you do not have a blue-lidded bin, you can request one online. You can find more information on what can be recycled at www.decorum.gov.uk forward slash home. 647,000. Across England, 647,000 tonnes of recycling were rejected in the year to March, up from 525,000 tonnes the year before and the largest amount since records began in 2006-07. DEFRA said a consultation had taken place on a proposal to force producers to label their packaging clearly so that people would know if items are recyclable or not. Heat and eat. Heat and eat, fight the cost of living crisis, is our newly launched community campaign for a better tomorrow for our audience. The crusade, following recent JPI media keep us warm this winter drive, that won support from opposition leader Keir Starmer, among others, highlights current heating or eating dilemmas, 
why such cash-strapped cost-of-living choices arose and what solutions can now best address issues involved. Change is coming and not in a good way. Rising costs will affect households across the UK in coming months due to several factors. And it's clear that many people, already stretched to the limit with their finances, will struggle to get by. Inflation is set to grow swiftly, with the Bank of England predicting a rise to 6%. There will be tax rises too as national insurance contributions go up to a 1.25% health and social care levy to be directed towards helping the NHS. Food prices are rising at their fastest pace since August 2020. Figures from data from Kantar confirm grocery inflation recently rose to 2.1%, the highest rate since retailers cut promotions amid COVID restrictions. Supply chains remain under pressure from factors including the pandemic and continuing shortage of lorry drivers. Retail and hospitality groups previously warned MPs inflationary pressures could continue for months ahead. Energy bills will zoom up as demand for oil and gas continues to grow. A price cap for gas and electricity tariffs introduced in the UK in January 2019 is set to rise dramatically in February's six-month review to come into effect in April. Energy prices could go up by as much as 50%. The government claims some mitigation with its warm home discount, a one-off winter payment of £140, and the winter fuel payment for pensioners. But experts say these fall far short of what is needed to help people meet living costs. Petrol and diesel too continue to rise in price, stretching motorists' pockets. Rail travellers will see fares go up by 3.8% in March. Will workers' wages rise in line with all the assaults upon their earnings? It's highly unlikely. The minimum wage is set to improve slightly, however, and state pensions increase by 3.1% from April. A cost-of-living crisis does indeed loom, and it's time to take stock of spending in any way possible. The forthcoming changes inevitably mean that a larger proportion of the population will join those who even now face the choice of food or fuel. Stretching their cash to pay for heating or for eating, but unable to afford both basic needs. So how can you save money and reduce expenditure in the face of oncoming energy price hikes? The first thing to do is assess how well your home is insulated. There may be grant help available in some cases. Benefits of good insulation include increased warmth retention with less use of heat energy in winter. Living room should be 21 degrees C for comfort. Bills are reduced as less energy is needed to warm the building. A lower risk of damp or mould, neither of which is wanted in any home, as it's a health risk. And decreasing our carbon footprint, the Energy Saving Trust says an average household generates 2,745 kilograms of CO2 from heating, 
which is 31% of total UK emissions. Budgeting is vital. These easy actions will help you to save. Know how much money leaves your bank account each week and month, from mortgage or rent payments to utility bills and the food shop. Do one food shop a week and stick to essentials with a list of ingredients for planned meals. Identify expenditure that isn't absolutely necessary and get rid of it. Secure the best energy deal you can and, if necessary, switch providers. Save energy within the home in every way possible. Turn lights and electrical appliances off when not in a room and wear more clothes to keep warm instead of turning up heating. Only use the car when you have to and save on petrol spends. Food and drink. From McDonald's to Instagram, Miguel Barclay talks about his transition from kitchen hand to cook. M Miguel Barclay had to fake a dentist appointment to get out of work when he got his first big TV break. After his Instagram account, dedicated to meals costing £1 or less, went viral in 2016, Barclay was asked to appear on This Morning, so he bunked off from his 9-to-5 office job to whip up, whip up a chicken katsu curry live on telly for Ruth Langsford and Eamon Holmes. I turned up with pots and pans in my backpack, Barclay recalls on a video call from his home in Camden, London, where he lives with wife Lucy and three-year-old son Charlie. I didn't know if they were going to provide their own pots and pans. I'd never done it. He then dashed back to the office where he would sneakily beaver away on his side hustle whilst pretending to work. I used to sit at my desk and have a spreadsheet up. Obviously, if you've got a spreadsheet up, everyone assumes you're working. On the way home, I used to buy my food, whatever the spreadsheet said, then go home and cook it, he remembers. A publisher offered Barclay a book deal after seeing this morning's segment, and One Pound Meals was published in 2017. Now the author has released seven titles in the series, but cookbooks weren't the plan back when he started posting budget-friendly recipes online. I thought that I was going to create a community of people, he said, I wanted to challenge people to cook meals for a pound, but it just ended up being people cooking my meals. I still don't think to this day I've had anyone submit their own one-pound meal idea. With no, no formal training, the Surrey-born chef, 35, says he picked up his culinary skills from having a front-row seat in professional kitchens during his teens and 20s. I worked in golf clubs, hotels, McDonald's, Pizza Express. Basically, I worked in them all, lots and lots of kitchens. I was normally just the washer-upper. Even at McDonald's, I was the washer-upper when I first got there. I always found it really fascinating, because back then there weren't really that many cookery shows on the telly, so I learned in the restaurants by myself. When his first book landed, Barclay had around 30,000 Instagram followers, now, after quitting the day job to work full-time in food, that figure has risen to 290,000 and says he knows instinctively what his very strong core of followers want from his books. The latest in the series, 
green one-pound meals, is focused on plant-based dishes, but it isn't entirely meat-free. Instead, you'll find recipes like chicken drumstick cassoulet and prawns and peas interrogant sauce, alongside aubergine parm burger and green veg toad in the hole. Personally, I'm eating less and less meat, says Barclay, and that's quite a big thing in the green space, not eating so much meat. It just felt right. Green One Pound Meals by Miguel Barclay is published by Headline Home, priced £16.99. Health and well-being. Handling weight loss chatter. Diet talk can be hard to escape at any time of the year, but it's often ramped up in January with weight loss and health kicks topping New Year resolutions lists. But what if after years of being caught in a loop of disordered eating, yo-yoing weight and self-esteem, or if you simply no longer want to be part of the world's obsession with calories and clothes sizes, you're finally ready to say enough is enough, only to realise that not everyone's on the same page. Sure, you can unfold Instagram accounts, block ads and choose which media to consume. But what about the colleague who comments on your lunch and makes sure you know they're only having a tiny salad? What about the friends who give regular updates on their calorie tracking apps or who can't open a menu without saying how good or bad they've been all that day? Trigger warning. Senior therapist Sally Baker uh, found at website workingonthebody.com, agrees these things can be hugely triggering and says, a lot of my clients who've struggled with eating and food in the past are triggered by things that could seem to be innocuous comments and by overhearing people's stories of diet and restriction. And it's important to be aware, we just don't know what somebody's history or private struggle is. As eating disorder campaigner Hope Virgo founder of the Dump the Scales campaign, points out, only 6% of people with an eating disorder are technically underweight. Plus, there are endless folk who may not have an eating disorder, but may still be trying to recover from the toxic diet culture and body shaming messages they grew up with. Broken records. Navigating these conversations can be anxious territory, especially if you don't want to disclose personal details every time the topic comes up. Baker recommends what she calls the stuck record approach. When someone says something to you about dieting or whatever, you just say something along the lines of, oh, I don't really talk about diets, or I don't really get involved with diet talk, and then smile and move on. Repeat if you need to, but hopefully people will get the message eventually. Avoiding hotspots is another strategy. This might be around the school gates, says Baker. So just do a drop and run, a, a quick hello, then say you need to dash. Another example might be switching gym classes. If there's an instructor who constantly talks about body shape and torching calories, find another one. Keep calm and carry on. Yes, it probably will feel uncomfortable practicing the broken record technique at first, but there are things we can do to help stay on track. 
Baker is a fan of emotional freedom technique, EFT, or tapping, which involves tapping acupressure points on the body with your own fingers to bring about a sense of calm. You can tap the sides of your fingertips with your thumb. You can do that in your pocket. No one needs to see you. This tapping method can really help you stay calm and centered. You look so slim. It can seem like we're paying someone a compliment when we tell them how slim they look. But not only does this overlook the possibility that something unhealthy or painful is going on, it reinforces the message that slimmer is always better. By complementing weight loss, this becomes an unspoken message our brains are constantly absorbing. What happens when a friend is trying hard to lose weight and wants you to notice? If a friend invites you to comment positively on their weight loss, that's something you might be able to do. Just say, you look amazing. Support them and recognise their achievement, Baker says. And now for clubs and community news. Inner Wheel Club of Berkhamsted Bullborn started their new year with a Zoom meeting. President Wendy DeLiesel wished members a happy and healthy new year. Guest speaker was Ruth Walne, a retired nurse and orthopaedic practitioner who spoke about her work with Mercy Ships. Mercy Ships is a faith-based, non-profit-making international development organisation that deploys hospital ships to some of the poorest countries in the world. Free, vital health care is delivered to people in desperate need of treatment. Ruth has personally worked on, hosp- on a hospital ship visiting Cameroon, Guinea and Senegal. Ruth explained that affordable and timely treatment is not available to many of these poor countries' population. Thousands of urgent operations are performed by the medical staff on board the floating hospital. Mercy Ship volunteers also work closely with the host countries to help improve the standard of healthcare by training and mentoring local medical staff and renovating hospitals and clinics. Ruth showed images of patients before and after their life-changing surgery, and members were greatly moved by the impact that the surgical intervention had on people's lives. Examples were adults with facial tumours and severe burns, children with cleft palates and bone deformities through vitamin deficiency. Melanie Fresnel-Jones gave a vote of thanks to Ruth and Inner Wheel will send a donation to further the work of the organisation. Clubs and community. First Gaybridge Scout Group. Two cubs in Hemel Hempstead have earned their silver awards, the highest badge a club scout can earn. Flynn Davies and Charlie Bull, both 10, are part of the First Gaybridge Scout Group and recently earned their Chief Scout Silver Awards. To earn their awards, both young people needed to earn these challenge awards. Our world, our adventure, our outdoors, teamwork, team leader, our skills and personal challenge. They also had to earn at least six activity badges, some of which were athletics, backwards, cooking, fire safety, local knowledge, physical recreation and artist. The awards were handed out at the end of the winter term. 
If you're interested in getting involved, email join at hemel-scouts.co.uk. Clubs and community, fitness classes, Jarman Park Athletics Track in Hemel Hempstead is kicking off the new year with a series of fitness sessions for those who are looking to stay in shape this January. The facility, managed by Everyone Active, in partnership with Decorum Borough Council, launched the classes last week. The new fundraising initiative will see the team working with a different local club once each month to help them hit their fundraising targets by arranging fun runs and other events at the track. A large amount of proceeds from the monthly events will go to the selected club that that, that month to support with running costs, equipment and trophies. The new weekly class timetable is suitable for all levels, from beginners to fitness enthusiasts. The team are hopeful that this will encourage the local community to ease themselves into a new fitness regime or stay on track with their goals. Those who are looking to ease themselves into fitness should try the walk and talk sessions, which run four times a week. These are social pay-as-you-go classes, ideal for people who are looking to take a steady walk on the track and catch up with old or new friends. Tea and biscuits are also on offer at the end of the class. Runners keen to improve their technique may prefer the daytime running group on Wednesdays. The sessions are coached and are ideal for those who love to run and have graduated from beginner level. Finally, a boot camp style class will take place on the track on Fridays with a qualified Everyone Active Fitness instructor. This outdoor session is designed to build strength and fitness through a variety of exercises. Kirsty Jones, Area Active Communities Manager at Everyone Active, said, We have launched this new range of classes to cater for all levels of fitness. We're passionate about engaging people from all backgrounds and abilities in exercise. So whether you want to engage in some steady walking or push yourself to make a new PB, we can help. We are also keen to support our local clubs, so our new monthly initiative will help give them the boost they need this year. Our sessions are not only great for physical and mental health, but also give members of the local community a chance to socialise, make new friends and feel good about getting active. Classes vary between three to six pounds per session. Members and non-members are welcome. For more information on classes, visit www.everyoneactive.com forward centre forward slash Jarman Park Athletics. If you are a local sports club and would like to get involved with the fundraising initiative, email decorumsportsdevelopment at everyoneactive.com. The obituaries. Helen Mary Cloak, formerly of Berkhamsted, sadly passed away on the 21st of December, aged 101. Margaret Valerie Hartley passed away on the 25th of December. Derek Stan Samuels, formerly of Berkhamsted, sadly passed away on the 2nd of January, aged 90. Karen Deborah Smith of Wilkinson Way passed away peacefully at Watford General on Wednesday, the 5th of January, aged 57. Frederick Ted Turvey, 1927 to 2021. Joyce Mary Curd passed away peacefully on the 11th of January, aged 
95. May they all rest in peace. And some letters to the editor of the Gazette and Herald. Help families hit by typhoon. The typhoon that hit the Philippines a few weeks ago has devastated a country that was already recovering and rebuilding from previous storms. At the disaster relief charity Shelterbox, we have team members on the ground there. With the help of the Rotary Club of Cebu, we have been distributing shelter kits and other essential items to people whose homes have been destroyed. We have already provided emergency aid, like tarpaulins and solar lights, to more than 1,000 households, 5,000 people. We hope to help more than 8,000 more households whose homes have been destroyed. With more than half a million people still with nowhere to live, we have more aid on its way to reach as many of them as we can. The Filipino people are resilient, but Typhoon Rai has caused widespread destruction, affecting almost 7 million people, many who were already living below the poverty line. More than 800,000 homes have been damaged or destroyed since the typhoon made landfall last month. With the help of your readers, we hope to be able to help more families who haven't been able to return to their homes. To find out more about the relief effort and how to support our Typhoon Rye appeal, visit our website, shelterbox.org. And that was from Alice, Alice Jefferson, the head of Emergency Responses, Shelterbox. Another letter to the editor. Charity. Saving eyesight on a global scale. As CEO of international development organisation Sightsavers, I see many examples of everyday hero communities supporting societal challenges. Players of People's Postcode Lottery are one group in the east of England whose goodwill astounds me. Since 2018, players across Britain have raised over 6.5 million for Sightsavers. This money has helped to achieve nearly 9,000 cataract operations, 150,000 plus eye examinations and 1 million plus eyesight tests. A heartfelt thank you to players for helping transform lives through our eye health inclusive educational and neglected tropical disease projects. Lives like Enoch's, a young boy with cerebral malaria, a neurological complication of malaria, who's now happily learned and developing alongside his peers thanks to an inclusive early childhood development project in Malawi. Enoch's father, Chikumbutso, told us that before the project his son kept himself to himself and was an unhappy child but he now chats with friends and seems content. Chukumbutso sees a good future for Enoch and is more confident about his transition to primary school. Any readers interested in supporting our vision of a world where no one is blind from avoidable causes and where people with disabilities can participate equally in society can visit www.sightsavers.org for more information. Dr. Caroline Harper, CBE, CEO of Sightsavers. 
£17,000 gift from Santa to great causes. Hemel Rotary's Santa sleigh raised over £17,000 for good causes. Donations will be made to the collecting teams who delivered leaflets along the routes uh, and accompanied the Santa sleigh. And about 20 smaller amounts will be donated to local charities. The remainder of the Rotary share of the sleigh collections will fund local youth projects, including the Technology Tournament, Young Chef, Youth Speaks and Young Artist, and also the Friendship Café and Phoenix Club for the Elderly. Rotary Hemel President Martin Horsted said, We are very proud of the contribution made to the local community through the Santa Sleigh, which has once again brought so much joy to young children during these continuingly difficult times. Rotary Hemel needs more members to ensure that it can continue to provide the Santa Sleigh and its many other community projects. Email hemelrotaryclub at gmail.com, call Tony Amis on 254-479 or visit the Hemel Rotary website. A rare slip as Burko have to settle for a point. Berkhamsted had a rare slip up at the weekend as they dropped two points in a one-all draw at Kidlington, while the rest of the top six in the Southern League Division One Central all won. The pitch was very soft and passed a morning inspection, but there was no chance to get heavy machinery on it, so the mud made playing good football difficult. The comrades shuffled their back four, moving Ben Walster into the middle for Tommy Smith, who broke his nose at the weekend win at Didcot Town, and Matt Cooper was recalled at left-back. Second-placed Burko played their usual passing game in spite of the conditions. They were good at getting to the byline through their full-backs and wingers, but Kidlington's defenders protected their goal well by being first to the ball for many low crosses, and goalkeeper Harry Way collected the high balls in. The comrades, Lucas Kirkpatrick, looked the most likely to break the first half deadlock. He struck the post with a low shot, but it would not have counted as the flag went up for offside and he did net soon after. But again, an infringement in the build-up was spotted. Chris Devane was brought on. Uh, Chris Devane brought on Elliot Bailey and Rhys Robbins to add impetus. And it was Bailey who crossed from the left for Ali Bangura to make the breakthrough as he fired over Harry Way to give Burko the advantage. However, the lead only lasted 17 minutes as Kidlington substitute Owen Cross took advantage of Lax defending to fire home as a cross came over from the right from substitute Connor Mattermore. Ben Walster got frustrated by time-wasting in injury time and he tried to wrestle the ball from a home player to take a throw-in, but he was shown a straight red card for his troubles. On Tuesday, Burko were hoping to bounce back as they were due to take on Swindon Supermarine in the quarter-finals of the Southern League Challenge Cup. They are back at Broadwater in the league on Saturday 22nd January when they take on FC Romania, looking to keep their unbeaten record this month going. On Sunday, Burko's under-15s went out of the County Cup, going down 1-0 at London Colney. All other youth matches fell victim to frost. 
All of Burko's youth teams are away this week with the under-18s at Kings Langley on Thursday night and on Sunday the under-15s are at Chesant and in the Eastern Junior Alliance while the under-16s head to Billericay in a League Cup tie. We're coming to the end of this week's news. Sunrise and sunset times for this weekend are sunrise at 7.56, sunset at 16.31. If you would like to give us any feedback or you have a news story or know of an event taking place soon that you think would be suitable for our listeners, please get in touch by email to secretary at dtnhemmel.org.uk. For those with access to the internet, our news is uploaded to our website soon after the recording each week on Thursday evening. This can be found by visiting dtnhemmel.org.uk. If you wish to listen on Alexa, say, Alexa, open the talking newspaper, Skill. Alexa will ask you which broadcast you want to listen to. When prompted, reply, play the decorum talking newspaper. This can be tricky. If Alexa offers the wrong station, just say no and then try again. For those who are listening to this week's news via a memory stick, after the music, there is the amenities section that gives details of various group and contact details of organisations. Please remove your memory stick carefully from the player and return it to us in the pouch provided. Seal it up carefully, turn the label over and pass it back to us using any Royal Mail post box. No stamp is required. Thank you for listening. Until next time, it's goodbye from all of your readers, the editor and Mike and Joe, your technicians for this week. <laughs>